Hey, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor at our Riverdale location, but I get to come here every once in a while. Uh, my mom comes here, and I used to come here when I was a kid before it was ever Alpine, right here in this building. So it's really awesome for me to be here with you guys. And we are in the book of Mark, and if you are new here today, uh, we, we um, have been walking through section by section in the book of Mark. Book, the book of Mark is this, this, the second book in the New Testament, so if you grab a Bible, about three-quarters of the way in is the New Testament, and that's when Jesus steps on the earth, and there are four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Mark is one of those, and it is a fast-paced one, and so we've this is our seventh week um, in the last part of chapter one. There's a lot that's been going on. Jesus started his ministry. He's done some miracles. He's, he's told everybody why he came to, to, to reveal himself, to preach the good news. And, and ultimately, he is the king, God in the flesh, who stepped down on earth to restore the earth that has been fallen and broken. And so along the way, we're seeing all kinds of different things he's doing, and there are stories that we're, we're looking into. And today, we're going to actually be in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. We're going to see that Jesus is the great physician because he heals a man. And as a matter of fact, we've seen a few healings, and we've seen him cast out some demons already. And I think as we approach these stories, a lot of us uh, see the surface level, okay, Jesus has power to heal. Like, he's God. That's awesome. Like, what does that mean for my life? What does that mean for me? And as we're approaching this, this text, we want to look at it like, why did the Holy Spirit cause this guy named Mark to write it down this way? And, and what does it mean for us? What is the deeper meaning to Jesus's actions, to his healing. Sometimes they're easier to see, sometimes they're harder to find, but as we dig into this today, we're going to see a couple of different things. I've got it broken into four different sections. We're going to see this infection of a, a leper, okay? We're going to talk about how Jesus heals a man with leprosy today, and that is the cure, and then we're going to see what does he prescribe for him to do then as the great physician. He says, go do a certain thing, go live a certain way now that you've been healed and cured, and then we're going to see this guy's failure to do so. And I think that we ought to put our place, uh, our lives in the place of this leper here today. If we're really going to try to understand what does God want for me to know today well, I want to first explain something about leprosy, all right? So this guy is uh, suffering from a case of leprosy, probably the worst kind. There are many different kinds, but there's this one that still exists today called Hansen's disease. And while I'm not a physician, I've done a little study on this. And, and what this form of leprosy does to a person is terrible. It, it ends up making a person look hideous. They, they lose uh, feeling in their nerves and nerve endings to the point where, um, you know, you and I, we get scrapes and bumps and bruises, but we notice them and we put ice on them and we, we do things to make sure that they're not infected. And, but for a person with this form of leprosy, they get hurt and they don't notice it. And so then what happens is the body isn't able to heal itself properly, and so a little scrape turns into a flesh-eating virus or disease growing on their skin to the point where it almost, you can see bones. Like, 
Now, I would say go Google this, but I know you guys are going to eat a lot today, probably while you're watching the Super Bowl or something, and so do it after that, right? Look up leprosy maybe tomorrow or something, but, but, but this is a, a, an incurable infection. Now, nowadays, um, you know, 2,000 years later, there are ways to help with this disease, but 2,000 years ago, it was known by everybody, the rabbis and everybody important, the people who knew the Bible, they all knew that anybody who had leprosy, they were basically left hopeless, and it was only by a miracle could someone be cured of this. And so that's where we see this uh, open up the story. With that context, let's get into the, the first part of this section. It says, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. I want you to imagine this, how desperate this man was. You see, not only was he suffering, you know, physically, but he was also suffering mentally, emotionally. His relationships were broken. Why? Because people didn't want to be around him. It was, it was obvious that whatever this guy had, people didn't want, all right? And, and so what that meant for him then is in the Old Testament law, if you had leprosy, you were basically banished outside the city to live in a leper colony. You had to be alone. As, as a matter of fact, in, in uh, Leviticus chapter 13, which we're going to look at in a moment, uh, really reveals kind of the sad state in which this guy had to live. But I want us to see something about leprosy. I want us to know this, that leprosy is analogous to sin. It is an incurable infection that affects every part of our lives. Physical, mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual. You see, sin is just as hideous, if not more hideous, than even the worst cases of leprosy. If you don't know what sin is... Sin is trusting and acting on our own opinions and ideas and our feelings over God's truth. And so anytime we do something outside of the will of God or outside of what his word has said to do, what he's prescribed for us to do, how to live, how to think, how to treat others, how to worship him, that's called sin. And we are all infected with this. And it happened, you know, in the beginning when, when humanity first came around, when God created Adam and Eve, they decided, along with some temptation from the enemy, Satan, to go their own way. They said, yeah, God said this, but I don't really trust it over how I feel or what I think. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> if you're honest here today, you would say that there are a lot of things probably you've heard about the Bible or you've read in the Bible that you don't actually really like. And it actually rubs you the wrong way. Uh, you, you don't want to follow those things or you make excuses for not following those things. And you think, well, well, God didn't really mean that. Or sometimes we'll say, that was for a long time ago. Now God wants us to live, you know, Whatever makes us happy, right? But the reality is, is sin is still an issue for human beings. It is, it is, we have inherited it from the first human beings all the way to now. We still are infected with this. And with this disease that we have called sin in our lives, that nature to want to do the selfish thing, right? Or the, 
or, or, or the thing that we know is going to hurt someone or hurt ourselves or dishonor God. When we do that thing, we are automatically separated from God. We're alone. We're banished outside of a real relationship with him. And so as we think about this, this leper, imagine his shame and his guilt. He can't worship God. He can't go to the temple. He can't go to church and worship like everybody else is because he's got this disgusting thing about him that nobody wants to be around. Nobody wants to catch it, right? His relationships then are broken. He can't have a relationship. Maybe he had a family or friends, but they're all broken. Those relationships are broken. Why? We'll go to that Leviticus passage to show you. This is what they had to do. Leprous per- the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out. I, I was always like, what does that mean, cover his upper lip? Like he had to walk around like this? But then it hit me, and I was like, what do you do when you're yelling out? Like this, right? Cry out. He had to say, unclean, unclean, and he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. You know how sometimes sin in our lives causes us to be all alone, separated from God and separated from people. In my own life, I remember a time where I was struggling with a very selfish disease called addiction. And what happened in my life was because I was so focused on getting my fix and so focused on numbing the pain of what I was going through and so, so focused on feeling a certain way that I broke all my relationships. I hurt people. I offended people. And, and, and eventually, nobody wanted to be around me. <laughs> You know, there were, there were a few people in my life, and I always give my, my mom credit, who's here today. Uh, many of you know her. She, she, never, she never left me. She never departed from me, my parents. They didn't. And they were really like Jesus to me, you know, because I remember my life, and who would want to put up with such a, a wretch like I was? Now, a lot of us here today don't have something that everybody else can see kind of like leprosy on the outside, addiction. or It hasn't manifested itself into such a way that everybody knows about it. But, but be rest assured, somebody knows about your sin in, in your life. If you're married, or if you're a parent, or, or, or if you're a child here today, or you, you work for someone, somebody knows that you're imperfect. Somebody knows that there are things about you that cause... This, this internal infection to keep eating away at you on the inside. And so for this man, he's such a great visual for us to think about the effects of sin. Now we can see it on the outside, but really when we sin, when we hurt people, when we do things that dishonor God, we feel shame, we feel guilt, we feel alone. Things break. Things don't work the way they're supposed to. Our mental health struggles, our emotions are out of whack because of sin, because of the sin we inherited and because of our own sin that we continue on doing. But the good news is that there's a cure. And that's what this guy knew. 
he had been seeing or hearing at least of this man named Jesus who stepped on the scene. That's what we've been dealing with in Mark chapter 1. Jesus steps on the scene. He's, he's preaching the good news. He's healing people. As a matter of fact, the story, last week's sermon, you know, people were coming from all over to hear what he had to say and not just hear what he had to say, but to bring their sick and their demon-possessed people. And he spent all day and night healing them wearing himself out, healing and taking care of the physical needs of others, proving who he was. His power proved that he was God. His power proved that he had the authority to come in and set up something new. You see, because the Old Testament was, was the prevalent belief at the time, they didn't quite understand or proper, properly interpret the fact that the Messiah, the Son of God, was coming to fulfill all of these prophecies, and Jesus was this one to do that. But the people in his day didn't really understand that. So he had to prove himself through miracles. And this one happens, and he's, he, this is how he reacts when he sees Jesus. And this is, this is beautiful. It says, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. You know, it was, like I said, believed by everyone. Only God could heal this miracle. And so I want to point something out to you. This man's faith is showing by what he said to Jesus. If we remember what he said, he said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He didn't say, if you are the Messiah, you can make me clean. If you're the Son of God, you can make me clean. Why don't you prove it? Like so many of us come to God, right? And we say, well, I'll believe in God if he does A, B, and C, right? I'll believe in God if he, you know, does this for me, right? Or, or, or some people reject God because life's hard. Because of the effects of sin have, have played out in someone's life, people will say, well, why would a good God allow this to happen and that to happen? And those are hard questions to ask. Just last night I was at a memorial for uh, a young woman named Allie. Some of you may know her, and she died very early from her struggle with cancer. And many people would ask, why would God allow these difficult things to happen in our life? Well, it's not his fault. It's our fault. Sin that entered the world has broken our bodies, and I'm not saying it's her fault, but, but altogether humanity has gone against God, and we're in the state that we're in. The world is in the state that's, that it's in, and we need to own that to some degree. But then we also need to understand that God isn't in the business of healing everybody's physical needs all the time, every day, because last week we learned that he, he came to do something greater than the physical needs. He brought the need of spiritual healing. And so as we look at this, this passage about physical healing, there's so much more to it that God wants us to see for our lives, that Jesus is the great physician, because like I said, this is an incurable disease and only the great physician could heal this disease and only Jesus can take away our sin he's not just powerful enough to do it but he's also willing to do it so his 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 proof by all that it meant that he was reaching out to touch this leper 
There were laws against people staying so far away. That's why they had to be outside of camp. But Jesus, he doesn't break the law, but he supersedes the law because he's the one who created the law. And, and you weren't supposed to touch a leper. But Jesus was proving that this disease cannot transfer to me because I am God in the flesh. And so this guy's faith mo- moment was in the fact that he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. The religious people of Jesus' day didn't like what he was doing as he was walking around and healing people and preaching this new message of love and grace and mercy. Matter of fact, in chapter 2, you know, as G said earlier in the announcements, we're telling everybody to get into small groups, and we're titling chapter 2, Challenging Religion. Because this is, in chapter 2, we start to see the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, they start challenging Jesus for what he's doing. They don't believe he's God. They don't believe he's the Son of God. They don't believe they have sin, and they don't believe they need a Savior. And so, I think many of us are just like either the Pharisees or this leper. We don't see our need for Jesus if, if, if you've never been desperate enough, brought to your knees enough to actually cry out to him and ask him to heal you, or you're in this, stuck in this place of shame and guilt and you don't know, you're not sure if anybody even cares about you or loves you, and you've come today and you're like, okay, maybe, maybe Jesus is the answer, and that's where this guy gets. He realizes that Jesus is the answer for his life, and because Jesus not only has the power to heal him, he wants to heal him. Maybe you think about it like, well, yeah, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I should probably clean myself up before I come to church. Maybe you've heard people say, if I was to darken the doors of a church, I think it would catch on fire. You've heard people say that before, right? But Jesus explains to the Pharisee when they ask him, why are you hanging out with these sinners and touching lepers and and calling people to be your disciples that aren't qualified? And here's how Jesus responds in Mark chapter 2. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. In a sense, this guy's leprosy is a gift because it brings him to this place of humility where he finally is desperate enough to cry out to the Lord Jesus and say, I know that you're Jesus because only you could heal my disease, so if you're willing, please do so. And he finds out that Jesus is willing, and Jesus himself says, I'm willing, and Jesus says, why am I willing? Because I've come for the sick people. I am the great physician who's come with a cure for your greatest need, not just your physical needs, but your greatest need, which is that sin that blinds you, that separates you from me, that breaks your relationships, that causes all this havoc and chaos in your life. That is who Jesus is. That is who this man recognized Jesus to be. And this represents a faith moment then. Starting a relationship with God starts by trusting in Jesus Christ. In our book called uh, The Pursuit that's out at the, the, the lobby, 
and or on the website PursueGod.org, it's this track about all the different levels of faith that people are in, and it's a great track to take someone through to help them understand, you know, who is Jesus, why he came, why we need him, how are we supposed to live this Christian life, and this guy is, is spelling out all the steps of chapters 4, 5, and 6, which are recognizing my need, which is sin, understanding who Jesus is, that he's God in the flesh, the Messiah, who's come to save sinners, and then the, the number three, which is the sixth chapter, is finally surrendering to him. This leper kneeling is, a, is a, a picture of surrendering to Christ, saying, I will make you my Lord and Savior. I will bow down to you. Remember, Jesus is the king of the universe who came to, to restore the broken world. This is his world. It's been marred by sin. But his presence as he's starting his ministry is restoring what he wants us to see fully one day. Because one day when we get to heaven, we won't need to deal with this sickness anymore. There are people that you know that we know that have already made it to heaven and they are in the kingdom of heaven fully realized. And that is the hope that we have as well. And that is enough for anyone here or any of your friends to make this decision to surrender to Jesus and make him both Savior and Lord so that we can be forgiven, we can be made right with God and when we die we go to be with him where there is no more pain or mourning or suffering or crying anymore, we're with him. But as we walk through Mark, we get to see Jesus bring a little bit of heaven on earth to people as well. Restoring brokenness. He can do that now in your life as well. He's done it in my life. So many people probably have a testimony here that he's restored me. He's forgiven my sins and changed my life. Which brings us to the next part of this, this message is I, I want to look at how he reacts. What does Jesus say to do next? Right? Because trusting in Jesus is the beginning of our relationship with God, but it's not the end. It doesn't just stop there. We, we, we get this free fire insurance, right? Because there's fire in hell. I, got, I have to explain that. We get fire insurance by being saved and forgiven. We're not going to go to hell anymore. And now we can go live however we want. No, the Bible also says, okay, now that you're a believer, there's a certain way in which I want you to live. I want you to represent me out in the world. I want you to obey my commandments. We're not saved by obeying commandments, but yet it proves our faith. It proves our faith by how we live as Christians. So Christ not only calls us to bow down in humility and repent and believe, but he also says then, now go follow me and teach others to follow me and obey my commands. So that's the prescription that he gives new believers now. He doesn't leave us alone and say, yeah, you go figure it out. He's, he spells it out in his word. Here's what I want you to do. And here's what happens next in this story. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Now, right, right off the bat, I think maybe we might be a little bit confused. And, you know, I've approached this passage that same way before, so it's okay. Why wouldn't Jesus want him to tell anyone? 
Like, isn't that what we're supposed to do now? And I would say, yes, yes. So who can really blame the guy? He's so excited that his life has changed. You know what it means that this guy has been cured and healed instantly, by the way? Now all of a sudden, he's going to get to go back into the community. He's going to get to go back and be with his family. Relationships are going to be restored. He's going to have health. He's not going to be hopeless anymore. That's a beautiful thing. Right? And so why wouldn't he want to go sing it on the rooftops and start, you know, skipping and, and just enjoy? Well... It's okay for him to have joy, but yet Jesus wants him to do this a certain way. Why does he want him to do it in a certain way? Well, one of it is because if you go on to Leviticus chapter 14, it says that if someone is cured of leprosy, they should go to the priest, and what needs to happen is is these sacrifices need to happen to make them clean, ritually clean, to come back into the community. All right, and so part of what Jesus wanted to do was not only reveal himself to the people outside the city and outside the camp, but he wanted to establish that he was setting up his kingdom and he was the fulfillment of these scriptures. And, and you know all of these, these sacrifices that they were doing in the temple that they would have to provide for this, this leper really actually are pointing towards Jesus Dying on the cross. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament is pointing towards, it's always for a remission of sins or a cleansing. It's called a sin offering. And the ultimate sin offering was Jesus who died on the cross. And so don't look past this stuff in Scripture. There's so much in there. The Holy Spirit is amazing when he when he was writing all this down. There are no mistakes, but there are certain a lot of things to look into And one of them is that Jesus wants him to go and be a testimony to the religious leaders of the day. Hopefully it would click in their brain. Like, wait a minute, this guy healed you. He said he's clean, but then he sent you here and and he's preaching this message that he's going to have to die on the cross for forgiveness. That's really what this is pointing to. And Jesus is wanting to restore this man back into his community. Jesus doesn't want to just heal people and say, there you go. He wants to restore them. He wants to use them. He's prescribing this guy way back into his community. Why? So he can share a testimony. So all of us who have trusted in Jesus, God wants to use us to be a light to the world. It's all over in Scripture. God wants to use us to share his truth. And how do we do that? We do it with our mouth and we tell people the good news. But people won't listen to our mouth if our actions don't line up with what he said in his word. All right. And so that is why the Christian church has been looked at as so hypocritical for a long time. It has lost some of its honor in the world. Well, if we're honest, I mean, the church is hated in the world because, you know, we're all a bunch of hypocrites, really. I mean, if we're honest, we have a hard time following Jesus's prescriptions in the Bible. Let's go back to this idea of that infection. When he cured us and healed us, when we trusted in Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven 
of our sin problem that didn't get rid of our temptation to sin and this, this flesh that we actually live in. And so we still have this nature, if you're a Christian here today, that struggles to want to go back. We want to go back to our old way of living, back to our old way of thinking. We don't like submitting to a king. And then we have this other nature now, the spiritual nature that wants to do his will. So you combine them two together, what do you have? You have someone who is, you know, what's, what's, what's the word, that men, the mental illness of, of someone who's almost like two personalities. You know, we've got two, two forces inside of us. One wants to do good and one wants to do evil. And so for us, Jesus is saying, if you follow my word, you can fight against that evil nature because I've given you the cure. Now follow the prescription. And we struggle with that though, right? Sometimes we're like, well, I don't want to do it his way. Or I don't trust his way. Or his way is a little old-fashioned. I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, looking at social media and stuff, like people saying, the Bible is a 3,000-year-old book and I can't believe people are still actually following these words in it. Maybe you're here today and you're skeptical of the Bible. Well, it hasn't changed. It is God's word and Christians do believe that his word is sufficient. It's without error. It gives us everything to live a godly life. So if you are a Christian here today, one thing that does prove your faith is how you actually are obedient to what the word says. Now, we don't do it perfectly. And that's where Jesus Christ's sacrifice applies to us, not just once, but every day. Let's move on to see how this guy reacts to Jesus' prescription. It says, But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. There's something about this guy's zeal and ambition that on one hand you're like, well, he's, he just wants to share the truth, but the problem is, is he's not doing it in the way that Jesus prescribed to share the truth. And so what happens is, is he actually hinders the mission, he hinders Jesus, and he hinders the gospel. There's a lot of things going on in the, the Christian church right now. Uh, a lot of people have this mindset of this leper where we get saved, we get comfortable with Christianity, and then we start to think, I've got a new idea, something that's never been done before. Maybe this will get people saved, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, for Easter service, let's, like, like, pull out all the chairs and make this stage bigger, and then what we're going to do is we're going to have a circus we're going to have elephants dancing on a ball, and we're going to do this amazing show and production. And if we can just become like the world, and if we can just be entertaining enough, then maybe we can save some people. And in the name of wanting to do good work and good ministry and get people saved, we actually hinder the mission. Not only do churches struggle with that, but I think individually we struggle with this, 
this idea that we want to add things or we want to take away things, right? I don't want to have to share the hard stuff. I don't want to have to tell a person that they're actually spiritually a leper. That's offensive, right? It's offensive to tell someone that, no, you're not actually good. Even though you, you think that you do more good than you do bad and that, that's going to get you to heaven. That's, the reality is, is good people don't go to heaven. And the reality is there's no such thing as a good person. But people don't want to hear that. But there's a way in which Jesus told us to go spread his word. And this man's failure really just mirrors ours sometimes too. We're afraid to do it his way because we think our way is better. And that's us going back to our old ways of living. Instead of trusting his word and his opinion and his idea. It's interesting, you know, we'll follow the doctor's orders. We go to the doctor, we say, man, I got this issue, and he'll tell you, okay, here's what you need to do. Like, you're going to be okay, here's what you need to do, if only you will just follow this prescription. And then we're like, yeah, we're going to do that. But with God, is he greater than a worldly doctor? Is he the great physician in your life? Will you follow his prescription on how to honor him, how to live, and how to fight this infection that keeps, want to see, keeps wanting to seep back in. But something beautiful about it for all of us is that even though this guy messed up, it says that in this, this last sentence, it says he had to stay out in the secluded places. You know, the, if we go back to the, the, the leper... He started out in the secluded places. He was the one alone. He was the outcast. But Jesus traded places with him. He said, even though you struggle with sin, not only did I touch you and I heal you, I'm going to continuously exchange places with you. So if you're a Christian here today, I want you to understand something. When, When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, it wasn't just a thing that happened once. But your sins are forgiven in the future. He knows everything you're going to do even from today on. And what he did on the cross was powerful enough to wipe all that away too and make you clean. And that's the beauty of being a believer is that we don't have to live in hopelessness anymore. We know that although I'm going to mess up and I'm going to follow the wrong way and sometimes I'm going to overdose on the prescription and sometimes I'm not going to take it at all. Sometimes I'm going to relapse like this guy did. The hope that we have that keeps us stable, that keeps us moving, is that Jesus Christ completely healed us, cured us, and is continually exchanging his righteousness for our sin. That's what happened when he died on the cross. He became the one who is the outcast, the one who is crucified outside the city, the one that they said, he's a sinner, he's a blasphemer. He exchanged places with us. So for, for people here today who haven't quite trusted in Jesus, my challenge for you would be, would you be desperate enough even if your sin isn't one that is, that is outwardly evident to everyone else, would you be honest with God about your sin today and say, you know, I do know this about myself. I'm not as good as I think that I am. 
And at the end of the day, if I stand before God in heaven, will I be good enough to get in? And the answer is no. But Jesus, the great physician, wants to heal you and free you and cleanse you and exchange places with you so that you can be made right with God. Would you trust in him today? Would you kneel before him as Lord and Savior? And for those of us who have trusted him and we say that he's our Savior, is he our Lord as well? Do we submit to him on a daily basis? Will we do things his way? Will we trust in his power, his authority, in his word to do the work? Or will, will we try to add to it, take away from it? Will we follow it because... He deserves that type of a life and worship from us. He gave his life for us. Ought we not give our lives for him and lay down some of that sin, if not all of it, at his feet, knowing that he died for it and say, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to go your way. That is Jesus, the great physician.